think that if you want to earn a sponsor's trust, you have to show that you don't have any expensive habits and you're not going to get in trouble with the law or anything like that. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here today with Dan Freidenberg, and um, Dan's got kind of an interesting thing going on. He is located near Ottawa, but does a lot of stuff in the States. We can't seem to stop somehow having mutual points of connection. You know, somebody in the network ran into each other. It was like, okay, we need to have that on your show. I was like, okay, let's have that on the show. Um, so thanks for being here with me. Oh yeah, my pleasure, my pleasure. Yeah, it was a it was a real surprise meeting your brother too. That was the yeah. other uh, one that was unusual. All right, so just by way of uh, introduction and letting our audience get to know you, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how did you how what you did to end up on my show. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great uh, springboard there. I often tell people I'm the most confusing person in commercial real estate. And the biggest reason for that is because my way to get into commercial real estate is unusual. Uh, very few people try to get in it from a tech slash marketing side of business, especially online. But uh, if we rewind back to 2010, somewhere around that neck of the woods, I was working for web.com and its CRM wing. So it was helping people with their online shopping carts and their mass email marketing. And then uh, I started up my own CRM agency to help the high-end clients from those, uh, that, those CRM, that pool of CRM users. And uh, by 2014, though, as I was looking for bigger and better clients, I eventually started working for an Ohio firm uh, and uh, they were flipping 10 houses a month. They were doing 10 house transactions per month. So maybe they'd be buying five and selling five, but there'd be 10 a month reliably at least five years before they even hired me. And uh, the digital side of their business was at about a million a year. And uh, within a year or two, I got that up to three and a half million through uh, per year in their coaching wing. And, uh, but part of the problem of that though, is I was in Taiwan I lived in Taiwan for 15 years and I was running that Ohio firm from there. And, uh, because of that, I didn't have the local advantage, so I didn't pull the trigger on real estate. But, uh, back in, uh, in around 2020, that's when I started making the moves to learn about syndication, how to take down commercial deals as a regular person, as opposed to somebody who's already fantastically wealthy. And uh, I, I made the jump and I became a landlord last year for the first time. So it's exciting stuff. Congratulations. Um, but so, okay, you know, are you American? Um, Canadian. Uh, you're Canadian. Okay, so like map that out for me because it sounds like when I'm talking to you, I feel like it's, okay, I'm talking to an American, but you live outside Ottawa. So like put just put that together for me. Okay, cool. So, so uh, I originally moved back to I moved to Taiwan the first time twenty years ago, and that's where I started to pick up. I, I started to stop saying a boot and a things like that, and uh, because of teaching. But of course, all my coworkers, most of my coworkers at least were American. You know, there'd be the occasional Canadian. But of course, uh, when I moved back to Canada and worked for Web.com, that's an American company. 
So basically, I haven't had much of any luck or success uh, working for or with Canadians. And actually, even professionally, the, the professionals I've hired around here have, have been nothing but a disappointment. It's really a bad scene. Uh, you know, like I, I had an accountant where I personally, I think that accountants, they have two jobs. The first one is to tell you how much money you owe. Second one is when you have to pay it. And somehow this person managed to screw up both of those. And uh, the tax attorney I talked to originally is like, okay, so here I am. I'm technically an independent contractor because there's no entity in Canada. So, you know, like what's my, my best strategy there? And, um, you know, they gave me a boilerplate articles of incorporation. They only had to copy and paste my name about five times and put the date in there once or twice. And they managed to misspell my name three times out of the four times that they needed to. And they made up a new date. Uh, Terry, have you ever heard of um, May, December 31st before? That's, so, 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 yeah, so it hasn't been a great experience on the Canadian side at all. And I guess that means I just have been unfortunate and I've had bad luck. I haven't been meeting the right people. But uh, it basically has made me essentially uh, American, especially because um, uh, the, the company I was working for for six years there in Ohio you know, that's, that's who I was interacting with day in and day out. And I was putting all my chips in my career saying like, this is the one, this is the company I should uh, be with because uh, they didn't have a CTO. They had a CMO, they had a CFO, uh, they had the CEO, the COO. And uh, I was like, well, they really need a CTO because they're an online business. And so that made me really double and triple down on that. But, um, you know, after seeing uh, my boss flipping those 10 houses a month, I was like, how can I pivot to where I'm being rewarded in the form of equity instead of high wage, high salary and giving half to income tax? Uh, so so that's why I pulled the trigger and made the jump to commercial real estate. And uh, because all the people I was interacting with and the legal system that I'd already learned from being the admin of all these coaching sites, like that was one thing I took upon myself as I started going through the courses because I know that it was highly regulated and I was the one who was actually putting the words on the page. So not knowing the peculiar laws in different states or counties or whatever else, I figured I better know how this stuff works just to make sure that, you know, our copywriter isn't misrepresenting the truth or whatever else doing marketing. So it, it's definitely a weird way to end up here. But uh, the biggest thing which uh, you know is uh, real estate is about your network. It's knowing a gazillion different people and um, getting what you want to achieve done by making a new team. Mm -hmm. Said you did all of this like working remotely? Mm -hmm. That's right. Before that was cool. Oh yeah, way before it was cool. Yeah, so, so uh, I quit at, um, at web.com at the end of 2011 uh, after I'd already had my agency for a little bit. And then from 2012 on, it was all remote based. So, so basically a solid eight years before work from home was something something people really had their heads around at all. That's it's it's very interesting. And I'm like trying to line up my next next question. I'm like I don't even know where to exactly where to go with this because there's like so many different threads um, that that I could potentially pull on. Um, but so okay, so tell me a little bit about the technology side of your business. So you say you work for like I guess it's a real estate coaching. Yeah, they're actually a syndication and commercial real estate. So it's multifamily real estate uh, investors. You know, uh, before that whole stage, they had some single family, you know, long-term rentals that they're in their portfolio. But uh, the main thing they're emphasizing is that the real estate has to be first and the coaching has to be second. Uh, that's also true of the company I was with for six years. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, they already had the coaching wing developed, whereas uh, we're, we're developing the coaching and that's uh, growing in a big way over the last year that I've uh, been with Loring Capital. But uh, the main thing is they're buying up their hometown, which is Wichita Falls, Texas. And I'm there to facilitate in any way possible, which is that's the nature of small business is you got to wear lots of hats and you got to be prepared to do whatever's going on. But um, I guess the missing piece of the puzzle for those of you in the audience is that uh, when it came time for me to pull the trigger and become a landlord and get active, I knew that there had to be a personal branding and marketing element to it. So I really doubled and tripled down on that part, even though the technology was my strong suit. It, it's, it's been an interesting little thing, but like, you know, like just basically to get people aware of what I'm offering and what I'm doing and uh, to, to join on these different uh, GP teams, uh, the marketing had to, had to be there. But the, the tech itself is creating online funnels for, uh, it, it can be for capital raising because there's a compliance part of that. You have to make sure that you have a documented substantive relationship because uh, once you get to a certain number of assets under management, the SEC will audit you. And so you have to be able to prove that if you were using a private exemption, like the 506B exemption, that you weren't publicly soliciting people. And I'm like, well, well, how do you even pull that off? You know, they say, okay, so don't entice investors. And I'm like, well, I don't know enough investors. I need to 100x the number that I, that I know. So how am I going to do that without enticing them to at least come on a podcast? And then, of course, as you get further in, you find out that enticing is fine as long as it's not to uh, sell them a security. In other words, passive interest uh, in, in something, passive ownership. So that's basically how that all fits together, even though, like, as I said, it's confusing and weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, OK, so tell me about podcasting. So I was on your show. Um, when did you start the podcast? What's the subject matter? How's that adventure been for you? Right. So so podcasting, because of my tech side, it, it's definitely my competitive advantage. And I realized that right from the start. Uh, I've done, you know, I've been doing video related work since the 90s. And so that meant that uh, this piece of the puzzle, I knew that everybody would be relying on, you know, you have some people who are paying about 250 bucks an episode to have them published. And I know that I could do way better than that. But one of the problems I ran into is I knew I had to pair up with a, a real estate or commercial real estate sponsor. And I had to not get, you know, their, you know, the red flags going as far as interpreting me as, uh, as competition. So when I first got started with podcasting, it's uh, with what's called the Figure It Out series and uh, especially the Figure It Out Dream Job series, which is where I would interview somebody who had some sort of job that was enviable. And I'd ask them, okay, if somebody wants to end up where you are and they have no friends, no family, and no cash, how do they pull it off? Is it even possible? What character traits need to be developed for you to stand a chance of pulling it off? Which ones have to be, you know, basically eliminated, eliminated or, you know, like, like what, what changes do you have to make to pull these things off? And so that's what I started off with. And that was pretty fascinating because I got to meet some pretty wild people like uh, the world's fastest reader, uh, you know, an, uh, an opera singer from Broadway, you know, like different things like that in, in getting that really through. But uh, the podcast that has been uh, more responsible for more of my success, it's the Chance Encounter series that I, that I had you on. 
And the thing that's innovative about that, it really comes from the fact that I'm a CTO. So coming from CRMs, I knew I had to save information about people. And I also wanted to have proof that I knew people's level of sophistication, appetite for risk, and core competencies as it relates to commercial real estate deals. And I also knew that there were all sorts of people getting into this industry that are having these two-hour-long phone calls with everybody who they can, who's a potential investor or something like that. And very often, they'll come to, it's like, okay, cool. Well, it's a neat little friendship, but there's never going to be any business going on here. And, and I, I was on too tight of a schedule to start making real estate work for me, right? So what hit me is like, well, what's a situation where I can make sure somebody's not, you know, distracted by their phone? I've got their full attention. They've got my full attention. But at the same time, because I was starting off as far as like getting any real estate under my own name, I had to also demonstrate that I understood how the deals work. And so that's why what I do is I'd offer to the audience, anybody who subscribes, I'd go through how people vet each other in this industry. You know, how do we find out that this person will check the boxes that we don't have checked in our deal? So like if we don't have boots on the ground, who's going to be the boots on the ground? Are you going to be that person or are you really relying on, you know, your like maybe you're a fund manager is more what you're up to. And so you have your group of friends that you raise capital for for your fund. And then that's how you invest. Well, those people, they'll check in on how the deals are doing, but they're not going to be your everyday or oh, no, we've got, you know, a, a roof leak in apartment 3G. Can you show up with a bucket? You said, like, like, it's a different kind of deal. So figuring that out was the big one. So that's why I made my 15-minute format where I'm just asking, so why are you doing this? What role are you actually going to be doing? Uh, what's your buy box? That's one of the key ones, right? Because there's completely different groups taking over four you know, five unit uh, apartment complexes compared to the 150s and 250s. So those are the things that I really needed to know to, uh, uh, to, to have a list where I knew that um, if I had a deal, then I could give them a call and I'm not barking up the wrong tree. I'm really going for it. It's like, hey, you said you were looking for exactly this thing. I happen to have exactly that thing. What do you think? You know, and um, that was, that was my entire approach there and uh, just making sure that it's just super highly visible. But I've been really open about that part as a strategy, just because I think pretty much everybody's going to have to do some version of it going ahead. You know, you're going to have to have some sort of way to document your investor relations. And for me, I was making sure that it was impossible to forget. You know, like how, how do you make sure that, you know, like there's a joke that I have, like I have some joke ads that I might start using for 506B me, you know, one of them, uh, pardon my French, but uh, is uh, 506B me so we can get shit faced later is the joke. Because it's like, you know, like if you if you have a deal, if you have a commercial real estate syndication going on, that's all you're thinking about day in and day out. You meet somebody new who says, oh yeah, I'm a commercial real estate investor. I'm always interested in anything, especially this here. You're not allowed to tell them because you don't have a documented substantive relations. So, so that's, that's, that's the thing that um, I was going like, well, how do I make sure that I never forget? It's like, well, have I had the interview yet? Yes or no? If the answer is no, then nope, you're not going to hear about my private deals. So you better spend that 15 minutes. Enjoying the episode so far? 
Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. It's actually like very clever. I mean, I think you maybe, um, how can I say, uh, consciously did something that a lot of real estate people fall into unconsciously. And I think like, obviously, you know, you, you, you had a little off-camera discussion earlier about, you know, Canada and why you ended up um, doing so much business in the States instead of, instead of doing it in Canada. <laughs> Not, we're talking about the, let's say the level of play, right? Um, and so for sure, I mean, I think the um, number of Canadians, number of Canadian investors, capital raisers, whatever you want to call it, who have podcasts, like there's not a ton of us, you know, and like, for example, in English, like I know there's like me and the person I share an office with are the two real estate podcasts in Montreal, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but what surprises me, like when, you know, I go to conferences, I went to a podcasting conference uh, in Orlando, I went to RubeCon in, in Phoenix, which was like a smaller real estate conference. Americans all have podcasts or like if they, you know, or else someone in their organization has a podcast because they realize that that's just such an important part of this piece of the puzzle as far as, you know, generating content and visibility and like making connections and um, like, I guess like you're saying also like documenting relationships for going forward to, to you know, and, and, and also the fact of like making some of those contact making communications meaningful. Because you're absolutely right. Like, I, and I don't know if this is really has a space on this podcast, but I'm going to say it anyways. You know, like nothing irritates me more than like when I'm, you know, looking at a guest and I'm like, look, just come on the show. Like, we'll have a half hour conversation. It's going to be fine. They're like, no, we need to have a discovery call. I need to shut schedule this. Everyone else sort of benefit from that because for me or us in the industry, what's interesting to us is a conversation. Like, I think it's interesting to our listeners as well, right? Because like, there's a reason why we're going out and looking for that information. So just let's have an interesting conversation and let's record it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how I feel. And and it was it was so important as a whole for, for the whole thing on, on dandosdeals.com, just getting that information quickly and uh, also having a format to make sure that even if you just decided like a month ago, that you're getting into commercial investment, then you're not going to look like a complete dummy who knows, has no idea what's going on. And like, that's what I, I did on purpose. Cause then you can yeah. check out the format on dandusdeals.com. Yeah. There's over 250 episodes on there. But uh, the idea is even if you're starting, you know, you'll, you should still be able to answer those questions. Cause I'm explaining to the audience as if they're coming from zero. So if you're above zero to begin with, it should be really easy. And, uh, it's not awkward, much effort. Uh, I've, I've had one person who came in who didn't know what kind of unit count they were looking for because they were a marketer. And I'm like, uh-oh. Uh <laughs> like, it, it seems weird because like of, of all the things that are subjective in this industry, I think unit count is the most, okay? It's like, you know, there's, that's where rationality and irrationality collide. You know, you say it's like, okay, so like, but are you more comfortable with 150 units and having this much control and this much ownership? Or do you want to have more ownership on a smaller number of units because you think that you can handle whatever problems 
that'll happen. You know, like that, that was just a really weird occurrence. But, uh, you know, in, in general people, you know, like, like, oh, that's over 250 who just went through the whole process and it was fantastic. So yeah. Strange. Yeah. And I think you're also, I mean, touching on another, um, interesting thing, which is that it's like, it's such a great platform for educating yourself. You know, like I say for me, like podcasting, it's like at least 70% a selfish enterprise because like I get to have these like interesting conversations with people about stuff that I, maybe I don't know so much about or like educate me, tell me about this. I want to know how does this work? Right. And so you get to have these like little educational segments. Um, okay. So I, I see we're kind of like getting um, into the, into the time and I have like two final questions that I really want to get to, but let's finish up with your business. Um, do you want to tell me anything else that I might be missing as far as, you know, what kind of, what stuff, what stuff you do, what your business model is, um, what you're looking for? Mm -hmm. Great. So, uh, you know, I'm always interested in talking to anybody who's looking to invest in the United States. And uh, the most important thing is that uh, I might not, I, there's actually a huge chance that I won't have anything that's a good fit for you. But at least what I wanted to do with my interviews, my, my podcast is make sure that nobody walks away empty-handed. At the very worst, both of us walk away with a piece of content and, you know, like somewhat of a, of a, of a relationship. But um, what I did, you know, answering what 506BME is all about, is uh, when it, it got to the point of I'm going, well, how do I help people with my CRM background where I can give them, you know, like as much as they absolutely need from a bare bones perspective with as low of a cost as possible because, you know, not many people have a business that'll support a six-figure CRM person, you know, for their CTO. So 506BME, it's, it's the platform that I'm offering that, uh, that documentation of your substantive relations with investors. So if you want to make sure that you have something in hand to show, it's like, look, I knew this person. I knew that they understood what an illiquid asset is because that's really the crux of the law. It, it's, you know, you just got to make sure that people understand what they're getting into before you sell them a security or else they're basically going to assume that you're a Ponzi scheme, which uh, is, is a very uh, scary prospect. So uh, if that's something, if you are going to be syndicating, especially if you want to be in investor relations, sometimes people call them capital raisers. You have to be super careful when you call yourself a capital raiser because if you want to be on a GP team, you do have to have some sort of actual role where you're not just making it up and you can look at a judge straight in the face and say, oh, no, 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 I'm actually doing stuff for this building. I wasn't just in charge of bringing some money and getting a piece of the action for that. If you want to do that, you're supposed to have a fund and, uh, and do it that way in the U.S. And um, I'm, I still haven't got my head around how you're supposed to do it in Canada, and that's why I don't. But um, that's, uh, that's, that's the biggest part of my business is that if you want to know uh, how to document your relations, then 506b.me is the place to be. Great. That's actually really, that's actually really cool. And, you know, I, I love the explanation you just gave because I feel like I've had versions of this conversation a bunch of different times and nobody like mapped it out so clearly. Like, obviously we all know, um, you know, what's a, uh, that uh, it's the, here it's the uh, IMF, like the security, we have our own securities commission in the States. There's like a different version, but like ultimately they're looking for the same thing, right? Like they're looking to track that you're not just out there Ponzi scheming people and selling them pie in the sky deals and that like in order to pitch to investors, you have to have a way of vetting them. Um, and because that's not, you know, that's not my business model. That's not my role. It's, it's always been a little bit opaque to me, but I think I well, thank you for, for, you know, mapping that out. 
Um, I want to just change the the conversation a little bit to, um, I guess, my two favorite questions of the interview, which the first one is, you know, we're in an industry where um, there's like a lot of bling, uh, a lot of Instagram, a lot of yachts, a lot of stuff like that. And I think one of the things that people don't share often is the lifestyle hits that they took and the challenges that they faced to get where they are. So mm-hmm. you want to tell the audience a little bit about like, what are some of the less sexy things you had to do to, to be where you are? What are some of the sacrifices you made um, to attain the level of success you have? Mm-hmm. I love that question. So the first thing is to understand that there's someone called a deal sponsor. That's the person who has the most money. They're the ones who are signing on the dotted line saying, okay, you know, like if for whatever reason this, you know, we don't, we aren't able to, to pay the debt service, the, the loan on this building, you know, I'm the one that's going to make the, the bank whole. You have to earn that person's trust. It, you know, like people act like, you know, like every other person, you know, you have to, you have to earn everybody's trust. And that's true to, to, to a degree. But the fact is a sponsor is not going to, you know, uh, uh, give you part of the deal unless they actually are confident that, you know, you're, you're going to be helping. You're actually going to uh, make their life easier. So it's, it's all of that flashy stuff. I want to add one other thing, which is that because, you know, like I have the, like I was a guitar teacher in the 90s at the local music store. And so I learned, you know, like what rock stars do and I learned how they make music videos, you know, how they'll rent a Lambo. It's not actually, you know, they don't actually like, you know, these rappers, they don't actually have their own Lambo because they're maybe making like $40,000 a year after all the deductions and all that kind of stuff like that. And it's all just fake. And it bleeds over to real estate really, really badly. And I think that if you want to earn a sponsor's trust, you have to show that you don't have any expensive habits. And you're not going to get in trouble with the law or anything like that. So I would really recommend don't be flashy, even if you can. And the other thing, too, is that the reason why I love the question so much is because that is one thing that I like to hit hard on. It's just that if you have all these flashy things, who do you think's paying for those? It's the investors. It means, you know, you are skimming the returns so much that you can, and I'm being kind of specific this because this has been bugging me for a while, you know, just so that you can buy your mentor a Lambo, just so that you look good so you can sell more coaching. That is not nice. That is not good. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, so sure, the investors are getting a bad deal. Well, what about the residents that are, that are trying to scrape together some money? How happy would you be as a resident in these kinds of inflationary times finding out that your rent money is going to some syndicator's mentor's Lambo, it would really piss me off. And so it's not, it's not a good thing to do at all. And so when, it, and, and as far as me tightening my own belt, it's like, holy crap, you know, like, you know, getting, getting to, to like low five figures in a year, whoo, it's scary. You have to, you really have to tighten that belt. Uh, you know, if you're going to earn people's trust, because they need to make sure it's like, okay, so the way that the law works, at least in the United States, is if you kind of drop the ball and you don't do your work, there's not a whole lot of legal recourse. And so they need to make sure that you're going to stick around for the five-year hold period, even if it turns into seven or eight or whatever, even if distributions are paused for like three or four years, 
you know, they need to be confident that you can take the hit and you can find some way to make things work. You know, me, you know, like because of the CRM thing, I can get, you know, like a couple CRM or website uh, funnels uh, clients and then I can basically make ends meet fairly easily that way. And that's definitely a plus to my sponsors. But but I, I think that uh, I think that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I find that like I find that, like it's a very interesting perspective. And I think it's actually like I think you're I think you're absolutely right. And I think you're right about two things. I think you're right about the fact that um, I w- will not name anybody, but like I do know that there are people in the real estate industry who like, you know, are very happy to take photos on private jets and do various different kinds of things. It's not necessarily theirs, but it's like this music video kind of um, Potemkin Village uh bling show so that's i think that that's 100 percent the case and and that one shouldn't necessarily be fooled by it and the other thing is like yeah i mean what are you actually doing right like whose money are you spending and how happy would the person be people involved in things be to know that like what's financing your six-figure lifestyle is that right so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and the same goes but, for wall street and, and bay street in toronto yeah. you know those skyscrapers you know it's our pension plans that are paying for it it's it's our you know so, so you know, that's what I love about commercial real estate is to get your money off of Wall Street mm-hmm. where, where they've got this culture of take, 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 take. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Let me ask you the, uh, the, the last question and maybe, um, you know, maybe this, your, your previous answer is going to answer that. But um, what do you think we should be talking about in the industry that we're not talking about? What is not on our radar that you wish was on more people's radar? Um, I guess... I, well, one thing is that it's uh, it's every bit as competitive as people think it is from the outside, which means it's more competitive than a lot of people think at the beginning from the inside. So if you're in a coaching program, you get all high. It's like, oh, wow, you know, it, it's like this is a $5 million building. That's more money than like I can even imagine. It's like, yeah, but can you imagine... 0.01% of 5 million because that's a lot more accurate as far as like what you're going to be actually getting out of it in, in a lot of cases. This is not the fast way to get rich and people who present it that way, it's, they're, they're, most, they're either deluded or uh, being dishonest. It's, it's, it's pretty bad stuff. You know, it's, if, you, if you had all the resources, the financial resources in the world, the only thing you'd buy are things that are cash flowing positive. And if that's the case, then why would they give exactly what they want to anybody else? You got to have a really good reason. And so that's what you got to do is you got to turn around to these sponsors and give them very good reasons to include you in it. And then you can pull it off. Yeah. 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 No, I think, uh, I think that's like, let's I think it's a really great point. Um, I think it's a really great point. Um, okay. So we're uh, out of time. Um, how can people reach out to you? How should people connect with you if they want to know more about what you do? Awesome. So, uh, Dan Fradenberg, fortunately it's a very, uh, distinct name. So, uh, I'm super duper easy to find, especially on LinkedIn, which is where I spend most of my social media time. So be sure to connect and reach out there. But, uh, 506B.me, that also has some ways to get a hold of me. And, uh, if you just want to check out more podcast episodes, meet a few syndicators virtually, and it's at uh, dandoesdeals.com. All right. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. Uh, guys, we're going to drop all those links in the show notes. So do um, take a few minutes to go check them out. If you liked what you saw, definitely check out Dan. Um, share this episode with friend, like, subscribe. Um, thanks for spending this time with me, Dan. Thanks. Great time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.